This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group, with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay and had a good weekend. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast on Monday, October the 31st. And our top story today is that a man has died following a petrol bomb attack on an asylum processing centre in Dover. Several homemade devices were thrown at the Border Force site yesterday. Two people are reported to have suffered minor injuries and the man found dead at a nearby petrol station was a suspect and thought to be in his 50s. Well, our reporter Sam Lennon spent yesterday in Dover and has described for us in more detail what happened. The emergency services are two fo- focal points. First of all, the Tughaven uh, site, which is where asylum seekers are first brought in, once they're re- usually when they're rescued at sea. This is where the petrol bombs were left, alleged to have been thrown. Today, um, in the early afternoon, there was a very heavy police presence uh, on the road just close to, it, close to the scene where there were a lot of uh, fire engines and police cars. And, of course, the area was sealed off, so we weren't able to see exactly uh, the immediate area where where the incident happened. Uh, The second uh, scene of interest for the the emergency services was the Dover South Services petrol station, which is at Limekiln Street. This is about a 15-minute walk over a road called uh, the Viaduct. There, uh, police sealed off, closed the garage and sealed it off. Uh, to customers, and the army bomb bomb disposal uh, team was brought along. At one stage, I actually saw the the car, which was thought to have been used by the attacker, was parked there and covered in blue tarpaulin. At one stage, both police and uh, soldiers were examining the car. Now, the car was, uh, as police worked on the car, they, they covered up uh, covered up with tarpaulin, so we couldn't actually see what they were looking into inside the car. The fire brigade were there as well, and at one stage they set up a, a screen uh, around that car so they could further work on the car. Again, uh, the screen was used to sh- uh, shield off to stop uh, the views of members of the public as to what, what was going on. Sam has also been speaking to people who were in the area at the time. Uh, I was just walking back from the cafe on the site and I was, I, heard, I was walking around the back of the trucks and I heard this bang. Yeah. After, after seeing the motor's truck, which at that time nothing happened. This was like 10.40, something like that, 10.45. I heard this bang and I just thought it was a, a bird scare or something, you know. Yeah. And then a couple of hours later I came out and there was all this commotion on going out here, and I didn't, I didn't know what was going on until then. But uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. That's all I that's all I can tell you really. So you heard the bang? Did you actually see anything? No, no. Yeah. What do you think of it at all? It's pretty horrific, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. I mean, the bloke from one one thing was doing what he did here, but then going across to that garage and doing what he did there, and involving all the innocent people over there. Is, me, that's the worst bit. Well, I went to go meet a friend of mine for a coffee. He was picking me up down at the BP garage, going towards Dover. And um, when I arrived at the uh, garage, I uh, I got told I couldn't cross the road into the garage because it were a crime scene. Mm. So as I walked past, I'd seen a car with a, a body uh, actually out out 
hanging outside of the uh, rear passenger window. Uh, I obviously thought at first it was a gangland killing or something, but yeah. it, obviously it wasn't. It were a suicide. Um, <coughs> obviously on a Sunday morning you don't expect to see anything like this. And then when I, I had a coffee with him friends, when I arrived back, yeah. I understand that there was uh, a couple of um, petrol bombings at the uh, immigration centre. And, um, and that was about it, really. And you must be pretty horrified by what happened here. Well, yeah, you don't expect to see anything like that on a Sunday morning. You know, just going for a coffee. Sure. But, um, I, you know, it, the guy, he's... Seemed to be in his late fifties, early sixties. The guy who, who died. The, the, yeah, the guy that died. Yeah. Now the government's under increasing pressure to deal with the huge backlog of asylum cases following what happened over the weekend. And Dover MP Natalie Elphick spoke shortly after the petrol bombing. Tensions have been running high in recent weeks um, following an incident last weekend in Dover. It's something that I raised with the immigration minister earlier this week. We don't know at this time what the motivation uh, or identity is of the person who uh, undertook this morning's acts, but clearly it is extremely shocking and concerning. Uh, The Port of Dover is a very busy and an open port. I have raised with the Immigration Minister and asked him, as I've asked other Home Office Ministers, to look again at whether there is a better, more secure, more appropriate site to be dealing with migrant processing than the very busy port and busy town of Dover. You may remember in the podcast last week, we told you how concerns have been raised about potentially inhumane conditions at an asylum processing site in Manston. It's apparently being used to hold 4,000 people now after those from Dover were moved there following yesterday's incident. All of these people have crossed the channel in small boats, while North Thanet MP Sir Roger Gale has been to see the situation for himself. The staff are doing a fantastic job. The Home Office staff, the civilian staff, the catering staff, the medics are all showing compassion and doing the best they can under very difficult circumstances. But these circumstances, I believe now, were a problem made in the Home Office. The Home Office Minister of State, Robert Jenrick, took the trouble to come and spend three hours with me, with Home Office staff, going around the facility yesterday. I've been before, of course. Um, I'm delighted that Robert did take the trouble to come because I think he understands now what really the problem is and I got the impression that he is determined to go away and deal at least with the immediate problem because there are two issues. There is of course the longer term problem of a very real issue of cross-channel migrants which also has to be addressed in a grown-up fashion not by dog whistle politics. Without breaking confidences I think that Robert will be probably going back and saying not to book hotel accommodation as a matter of policy, uh, whether that policy was instigated by the previous Home Secretary of this one, I'm not clear, but it clearly was a matter of Home Office policy. I think Robert will be saying that was a mistake. We've now got to get people out of Manston so that the job that it was doing very efficiently indeed of processing and moving people on can be done again. Up until three or four weeks, uh, about five weeks ago, actually, probably, The system was working as it was intended to, very well indeed. 
it's now broken and it's got to be mended fast. Now, more than 100 charities have written to the Home Secretary calling for a kind and effective system. Sonia Skeets is the chief exec of Freedom from Torture and says poor administration is a major part of the problem right now. The people we are talking about in that facility are for the most part people who are fleeing problems in the world like torture. People coming from countries like Afghanistan and Iran standing up for rights that we hold so dear here in Britain. These are people coming here for our safety who need to be treated in a humane way. So I concur completely with our previous guest, Sir Sir Roger Gale, um, that this is an entirely unacceptable situation. It's a problem of the government's own making and it needs to be sorted out immediately. Our ministers need to get their priorities straight. We put ministers into office to oversee the administration of our systems, including the asylum system. And we have had two consecutive Home Secretaries who have been asleep at the wheel in relation to the functioning of our asylum system, pursuing instead cruel and unworkable policies designed to secure headlines like the immoral cash for human scheme with Rwanda. They need to abandon that cruel plan immediately and get back to work sorting out a backlog which now has more than 100,000 people in it who are languishing at incredible expense to taxpayers and terrible consequences for their, their, health, their, their mental health in hotels. That is what we're calling on ministers to do. We've got some figures finally for you. Nearly 40,000 people have crossed the Channel to Kent in small boats so far this year. There's currently a 100,000 strong backlog in asylum claims. You can also read this story and have your say by heading to kentonline.co.uk. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today and two men have died after a crash involving two cars in Rochester. Emergency crews were called to City Way on Saturday night. The men in their 50s were both passengers in a Skoda which had collided with a BMW. A Maidstone man who pushed a child into a wall by their head has avoided being sent to prison. Daniel Adams was caught on CCTV assaulting the youngster in December last year. He also appeared to be threatening them. Well, the 27-year-old from Nightingale Road was also physically violent to a woman on a separate occasion. A judge has described him as a bully. He's been ordered to do 150 hours of unpaid work. A cyclist has been rescued by firefighters after getting pinned under a car in Medway. The air ambulance was reportedly called to a crash on the A228 Grain Road in Stoke yesterday. Crews used winches to lift the car off the cyclist, who was looked after by paramedics. Now, as the cost of living crisis continues, there are concerns that nurseries and preschools in Kent are struggling to cope. Jamie has the details for the Kent Online podcast. Mixed with staffing and recruitment issues, the number of childcare providers in England dropped by around 4,000 between March 2021 and March 22. That's the largest decline since 2016, according to Ofsted. Almost nurseries are small businesses, and just like us at home, they're being impacted by rising fuel costs, food prices and inflation. And there's a warning nurseries are more likely to close in deprived areas. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group. 
with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A woman's been treated by paramedics after a laundry room blaze in Tunbridge. Two fire engines were called to Castlefield yesterday and crews spent over an hour tackling the flames. They also used a special fan to clear smoke from the property. The daughter of a resident in a care home in Gravesend is angry. She learned about the closure of the facility through a relative on social media. Managers of Edward Moore House held public meetings to discuss the decision with patients. However, Councillor Lynn Miller from Graveton Borough Council says as the next of kin for her 94-year-old mum, she should have been spoken to directly. Formal letters were sent out, but some didn't arrive or were late. Rapport Housing and Care have said the Royal Mail postal strike is to blame for the delay in communication. It's feared young people in a village near Canterbury could be risking their lives by using laughing gas. A large number of empty nitrous oxide canisters have been found in a park in Hurston. The councillor warning of the potential health risks and say consuming too much can be potentially fatal. Now, the owners of a bakery in Tunbridge say their staff are being put at risk because of expensive parking. Now, prices have gone up at car parks in the town centre recently, forcing some people to leave their cars further away and walk through unlit alleyways to get to work. Claire Barton runs the Bakehouse. Tunbridge has always been, had quite a lot of parking and overall it's been of a moderate pricing but uh, the council currently have uh, increased their parking charges and it's now become a bit of a concern for me, my staff and customers. Because of the the hike in the prices, my staff obviously have budgets like everyone else and they uh, were advised when we phoned up the council that they had to use the long stay car parks. We went and parked there to check what it was like at three or four o'clock in the morning and to be honest with you, I don't feel safe and I certainly am uncomfortable about allowing my staff to walk there in the dark. I would say that it is just by the nature of it unsafe. It is dark, it is unlit um, and it's a long way from the shop. I feel that um, if a member of my staff is starting work at three or four in the morning that really the shortest distance between their car and the front door of my shop is the best solution. Amelia Bagg is a junior baker at the business. She's been sharing her concerns. I can't really justify paying £15 a day, uh, so I park like 10 minutes down the road where it's free, but then I have to walk quite often in the dark to get into work, um, which as a young female is not really ideal, but I don't feel I can justify paying that amount of money for the car park. I think a cheaper price would definitely make a difference. I'd be more inclined to park there as I feel like it's something I can afford more um, and it would encourage other people to park there more I think. Matt Borton is the council leader and he's been speaking to Gabriel from our colleagues at KMTV. So we're really conscious of the cost of parking in Tunbridge both for staff who work at some of the high street shops and also for those people who are parking in the town and who we want to make sure are visiting the town every single day. It's something that has changed significantly in the last few years and since Covid we've seen massive fluctuations in parking numbers within Tunbridge Town Centre. That's why we're looking at Tunbridge as a whole, that's why we're looking at some really big interventions that we can take place in the town centre 
that will mean that we resolve not just the issues around parking, and I do accept there are issues around parking, but also to look at some of the longer term uses of land in the town centre to make sure that we're doing everything we can to regenerate the area and bring more people into the town to support local businesses. But do you think it's fair that the staff have to park so far away? The difficulty in Tunbridge is that unlike many towns, what happens is it's got a number of car parks. Some of those are long stay and some of those are short stay. So we've made a deliberate decision in Tunbridge around how car parks are organised. And the reason for that is quite simple. We want to make sure there's every opportunity for as many people as possible to visit the town centre, to park their cars and be able to spend their money in the shops on the high street. To do that, what we've done is we have identified those car parks where demand is greatest and specifically the car park at the castle called Upper Castle Fields and that is a short stay car park to encourage that turnover of vehicles so that more people have the opportunity to park there and visit the shops on the high street. The consequence of that is that you've got car parks such as the ones at Sovereign Way, they're long stay car parks and that's where we expect people who are going to be in town for a slightly longer period of time to park. The reason for that, again, is quite simple because you've got greater parking availability over there, which is on the east of the high street compared to on the west of the high street. When the staff walking in in the morning, they tell me that it's actually pitch, pitch black mm. on the route they have to take. Um, we're talking about along the river, past the Serene Palunda Castle. That's dark in the morning. Yeah. Um, could the more be done uh, there, lighting cameras to, be sh to ensure safety? Yep, so what we've done is we've, we've, we're currently in the middle of a project which will enable lighting across the whole of the river from Cannon Lane to Avebury Avenue down in Tunbridge and that will make sure that we've got the ability to keep safe at all times of the day, whether you work in a shop, whether you're just visiting or whether you're a resident in the area. It's something we're quite keen to do and that project is getting underway imminently and we're looking forward to that happening. I do have great sympathy with the staff who work at, um, at shops and obviously it's something that we need to look at in the long term. Since COVID, parking demand has changed significantly and something we're looking at is we're looking at updating our parking needs survey, which basically identifies where the need within Tunbridge for parking spaces is. It might be the case that we need to um, do something clever around charges. It may be the case that we have to look at opportunities to extend car parks. It might be the case that we actually should shut some car parks elsewhere. That piece of work is, is happening at the moment and ongoing and when we get into the uh, details of, of parking studies will look at that but uh, we are we are fully aware of the challenges that are faced by businesses and we continue to do everything we can to support them. Kent Online reports. Kent's Crime Commissioner has been meeting with police today to find out how they've improved services in the six months since a damning report. Watchdog inspectors raised concerns about how domestic abuse cases were being handled back in April. Kent Police have now appointed a chief superintendent to oversee the matter and insist improvements are being made. We'll have more reaction from that meeting in tomorrow's podcast. Some sad news from one of Kent's animal parks over the weekend. A gorilla that was known for walking like a human has died. Ambam lived at Portland Reserve in Hythe and went viral back in 2011 when a video of him strolling around on two feet in his enclosure was viewed nearly six million times. Keepers say they're devastated after he died from a sudden heart attack at what they describe as the respectable age of 32. A woman has defied the odds to become female champion of Ninja 
Winter Warrior UK for 2022. Beth Lodge is originally from Sevenoaks and suffered a really bad shoulder injury while competing in a previous season and had to have two operations. Well, doctors told her she wouldn't have full use of her shoulder again. However, her determination has seen her crowned this year's winner. Beth has been chatting to our reporter, Ben Austin. It was just, it was incredible. Um, so I'd, I'd been on season four and five beforehand. So I kind of had a, a rough idea of what it was going to be like, but with the format change this year to have it as head-to-head races, um, you know, it, it sort of changes things up a bit um, and brings all those nerves back sort of even more so. Um, but it, it was really, it was just incredible. Like everyone involved in both like the casting, the production and the fellow competitors, it, it's so friendly and so welcoming that it's just a really, really good time. Um, so how did you train for it? I I, I, I would assume that you were uh, athletic beforehand, but um, yeah, how did you train for it? What sort of things did you do? So um, originally, many, many years ago, um, I was a gymnast. Um, so I sort of had that background um, and I tried a couple of other sports as well. So sort of high board diving, cheerleading and that sort of thing. Um, so always quite sort of interested in sports. Um, and then... Yeah, when I think season four came around, my brother saw that Ninja Warrior was having applications and we're quite a, a competitive family, I'd say, quite quite a sporty family. Um, so he sort of like jokingly was like, go on, you should apply. Like, I dare you to. And I was like, you know what? Why not? Like, what have I got to lose? <laughs> um, and then went on season four. I think I'd been to one training session at a, an obstacle gym at that, for that one. Um probably not my smartest move but uh <laughs> um yeah and then sort of absolutely fell in love with it and from then on um I trained specific obstacle training um and there was a gym over in Stroud that I went to uh, I was about sort of like an hour and a quarter's drive so I didn't go too often but it was sort of like once a week maybe twice a week over there um training for that and then got to do a couple of competitions here and there and then Season five did much better on that one. Um, managed to get last woman standing, um, and then obviously we all know the pandemic hit, um, and I had two lots of shoulder surgery. So not so much training, more sort of rehab for that. Um, and then yeah, once seeing that it was coming back this year, trying to get back into the proper training. <laughs> the doctor said that you wouldn't, um, you probably wouldn't be able to compete in the same capacity. Yeah. Um, so the first, so it was to fix a dislocation. So I dislocated my shoulder and tore the cartilage, tore the rotator cuff, sort of, you know, the whole works. Um, and then the first surgery was to fix it because I noticed that as I was walking around, it was sort of like sliding out of place, which was a little disconcerting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the first surgery was to fix all that. And then I didn't get the range of motion that I wanted after that surgery. Um, and so I went back to the second one and the surgeon said, you know, like with the, the sorts of stuff that you're wanting to do, you're asking a lot of your shoulder um, and it's, you know, it's not going to be like it was before. Um, and I think, I think the, the phrase that I remember from this, the meeting we had after the second surgery was that he said, maybe you should take up knitting. Like, how did it feel getting that news? And especially afterwards, how does it feel to overcome that? In the midst of it, it was pretty tough. Um, like, I'm not, I'm not someone to, to let many things stop me. Like if someone tells me I can't do something, chances are I'll want to prove them wrong. Um, so 
having that and I definitely felt like I, I was also mentally quite guarded with it so I was trying to get back into it potentially a little bit sooner than I should have done uh, especially if you talk to my parents um, and I was trying to sort of push it a little bit too early I think um, and I was getting quite frustrated because I'd go for a big swing and try and catch it and then just before catching it my brain would be like nope don't do that like and it was quite frustrating um, but just sort of learning to listen to your body and know when to push and when not to when to sort of ease off and maybe do some more rehab stuff it was definitely a learning experience but, but yeah being able to come back out the other side and actually now I'm I'm pretty comfortable with it I don't even think about it when I train anymore um it's, it's a great feeling huge congratulations to Beth now Ed Sheeran is a new number one on the Kent Top 40 over on our sister radio station KMFM his song Celestial has knocked Lewis Capaldi's Forget Me down to number two after six weeks at the top Taylor Swift's new track Antihero has gone straight in at number three meantime Numi's going to be chatting to Joel Corey on the hit list on KMFM tonight she's going to be asking him about his new single with Tom Grennan and how it came together make sure you're listening from seven Kent Online Sports. Football and I'm afraid it was back-to-back defeats for Gillingham at the weekend. They were beaten 1-0 away at Doncaster. It follows a 2-0 defeat at Lake Orient on Tuesday night. His manager, Neil Harris. The, the plan was to come here and, and, and make sure we forced Doncaster to try and beat us. Um, they're a team that are in transition in, um, played total football and I just knew with the right setup we could, we could uh, uh, be organised, frustrate them and have opportunities on the counter-attack. And the first half turned out exactly how I thought we would do. Uh, we didn't get ourselves in front just on the stroke of half-time, which was a disappointment. But then the second half, was the message was the same. I felt like I had a strong bench today. I had game-changers on the bench, uh, which I've not been able to say that too often this season. Um, and you know, to concede when we did just before the hour mark was really frustrating. Um, and again, just you know, to concede again. Okay, it's a really good football inside. We concede from across where you see no danger whatsoever is poor by us. Uh, I think all, most goals are poor to concede, but it was you know, overly poor. Um, yeah, we just just huffed and puffed and couldn't get back in the game. Dude, I, I, just, I just don't think, I just said to the group, I don't think we've done enough individually. I don't think we was brave enough in the attacking third, when, uh, certainly when Jordan Green had to come off. I don't think we was brave enough. I thought um, we had some really good moments, um, but so many times we went to good areas. And just didn't have the 1v1 ability or the, the excitement or the full process to be able to carve a team open. Um, and when you're behind playing against a 5-4-1, it's difficult to break down if you're not brave. It's doubly frustrating because just before their goal, Max Amos had one clawed off the line. We had a couple of opportunities, didn't we? Just sadly, but unable to take them at the key times. Yeah, it's just, just typical one of our games. Not, not the, the opponents had couple of chances we've had a couple of chances not loads in it um, we just come out the wrong side of the result and, and my, I wouldn't say I thought that against Dorian I thought we, we defended poorly for the goals but I thought they had to work hard for the goals I thought they were I thought they were a clever play good play today is just a cross in the box and a header uh, with a deflection and, and they're, they're the moments that we we're, we're not getting um, and yeah that is the game again I can talk about the positives and how good we were for spells of the game and limited dogs and nothing but it's a game we've got nothing for. Was your message of full time the, the, the same as Tuesday or are you in a slightly different mindset following this game? 
Uh, Tuesday, my frustration was we played the best team in the league and we were as good as them for 78 minutes. Um, and they just, ultimately, sometimes quality and money just, just shows at all levels of football. And, and, and the frustration was that we were as good as them and we didn't get the job done by getting at least a point. Uh, today, I just said to the players that I can't, I can't be frustrated all the time, I can't be angry, I can't throw teacups, so to speak. And I said, guys, we can only prepare you so much, we can only do so much of your jobs for you. And then I need a group mentality and individual qualities um, that I expect from my players. And at the moment, those, those close calls we're falling the wrong side of at both ends of the pitch and, and um, I don't really know what more to say um, to you guys because you know I take it's a collective responsibility and I'm the manager so you know I take collective responsibility in it but said so to my group I don't want nearly men I don't want men that, that almost score I don't want men that almost block a shot I don't want men that almost win a header I don't want them every day and and in games at the moment, I'm having nearly men at certain moments of the game and, and, and you know, it's not acceptable. Jules fans, we'd love to know what you think of that interview. You can drop us a message by leaving a comment on the story at Kent Online. Just click on the sports pages. The Jules are now 20th in the League 2 table and just one point off the relegation zone. However, they do have a break from the league this weekend as they meet AFC filed in the FA Cup. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. And you can also sign up to The Briefing to get a daily update on the top stories each morning direct to your email just head to kentonline.co.uk whilst you're on the site today you can also check out some of the incredible halloween displays across kent have a spooktacular rest of your day we'll be back with the podcast tomorrow news you can trust this is the kent online podcast this podcast is sponsored by the fg barnes group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.